This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here's your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonza. Glad to have you here for a while. This podcast is about having some deeper conversations and more positive conversations on the topics of creativity and motivation to explore how people create or build businesses or innovate in their industries. Sometimes it's a chance to learn something new or hear a different perspective or a take on creativity. Today, we are talking to Kate White. She is the award-winning New York Times best-selling author of 13 suspense novels and former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine. She wrote nonfiction books as well on careers. She spent 14 years at Cosmo. So we're going to talk about all of those sexy, outrageous headlines, why she decided to leave such a glamorous and high-profile media job, and the one topic she shied away from at Cosmo, which as you probably know, nothing seemed to be taboo. So that was very interesting. But first, as we head now into May, things are finally heating up and we are heavy into production each day for the KFBK Morning News. My co-anchor Sam Shane, our executive producer Andy, our technical producer Zach, we've become a pretty tight-knit machine after a month and a half. We all produce multiple segments each week and we're working really hard, but we're also having a lot of fun. This is a very satisfying kind of journalism. We're looking deeply at issues, going beyond the 15-second soundbite, and hashing out topics that have radical relevance to our audience. In fact, when I mentioned that that was my personal motto this year, our program director asked me to write it on our big board in the morning show office, so I think the show has adopted it as well, which is a good thing. People need radical relevance in their lives. There just isn't time for all the other crap, right? So I'm also facing the personal transition right now of our last child getting ready to graduate high school and head off to college. And I know some of you can relate. I'm just so desperately trying to soak up the last of the last child living at home until she leaves for college after summer. And I'm excited that so many of you are joining me on this podcast these days. I've watched the numbers grow on the various platforms and it's encouraging in the crowded podcast marketplace. I know you have many choices of what to listen to. So the fact you'd spend some time with me is, uh, is an honor. So thank you. Personal development is a big interest of mine. And I really do try to find guests who bring something to the table to share with us. So before we have our conversation with Kate White, uh, someone else who has been very supportive, such a great supporter of the show, Dave from New Age Ariel, my very first sponsor. So proud to have him and his team along for the ride. And you will be proud of any project you bring him in on. Whatever you need from the sky, New Age Aerial offers superior drone services of all kinds. The team has over 50 years combined remote control experience with fixed wing rotary multi-engine vehicles on both land and water. And they know how to get all of the FAA licenses that are required so you never have to worry about the paperwork. And you combine all of that with the latest in digital photography, you have gorgeous pictures or video. The CEO of New Age Aerial, Dave, fantastic to work with. His team absolutely loves what they do. So if you need breathtaking still pictures or videos for your film, your project, your real estate, Dave will exceed your expectations. Give him and his team a call or look him up online. That's New Age Aerial, 916-645-3474 or newageaerial.com. All right, now to our guest. 
I was first interested in interviewing Kate White because she had one of those truly glamour magazine jobs, editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan. All of those sexy headlines, those must-read articles in your 20s, stuff you had to know about fashion and sex and relationships in a format that felt like your smartest girlfriends were sharing inside information. It was the must-read by the pool, the must-buy at the airport as your vacation indulgence for the plane. And it wasn't just Cosmo. Kate White led a few of the biggest women's magazines in the world. She wrote a career book based uh, on her career and advice for other women. She wrote that book over 20 years ago. It was called Why Good Girls Don't Get Ahead But Gutsy Girls Do. And then she updated that to the Gutsy Girl Handbook. But my favorite nonfiction book has been I Shouldn't Be Telling You This. And I loved it because she wrote it like a mentor who is just laying it out there as bluntly as can be. I sent the book to my oldest daughter. So that is why I wanted to chat with her at first. But she has done the mother of all pivots. While still at Cosmo, she started to write suspense novels. She's now written 13 novels, New York Times best-selling novels. Her latest is called Such a Perfect Wife. It comes out May 7th. So how did she go from the sexy headlines and a car service in New York, the one of the best media jobs, to living in Uruguay, writing suspense? She reinvented, and she reinvented, and she pivoted and reinvented again. Here's my conversation with Kate White. Kate White joins me now. Kate, uh, so happy to have you uh, on the show. Thank you so much for being here. And I know you must be very excited. You have another new book coming out next month. You've written a ton of them. Do you get just as excited each time one comes out? I have to say, I do. And this one really excites me because I love the cover. It was a book I really enjoyed writing because I set part of it near an area where I grew up, uh, grew up. And so with each book, you find something that in particular excites you. So it keeps it feeling new again each time. Fantastic. And just uh, to let everyone know, it's called Such a Perfect Wife. It comes out on May 7th. It, it is your, is it your 13th novel? It's my fir- 13th suspense novel. Yes. I don't know, uh, Christina, is 13 a lucky number for that? <laughs> or maybe since it's a, another book about murder, maybe not so lucky. But yes, it's my 13th. And it's my eighth that involves a true crime writer named Bailey Weggins. I write standalone psychological thrillers too, but this is more of a mystery thriller with this recurring character, though you do not need to have read any of the previous ones. You can jump right in to this one. Love it. Earlier reviews are fantastic and uh, it, it sounds it sounds great. And, and you know, just looking at uh, your, your list of books that you've written, most authors seem to focus either on nonfiction or fiction and you write a lot of both. How, how do you get yourself into the headspace for either one of the other? Well, when you write nonfiction, it's really about telling, as they say. You're, you're giving someone a hack for something. You're sharing information. But successful fiction, they always say, is more about showing. You don't want to hit the person, the reader over the head with a hammer. You want them to sense how your character is feeling and maybe have not only a mystery to what's going to happen in the plot, but mystery to the character's intentions at times. The one thing I would say, even though I've done both books, because I often advise people on branding and and personal branding in my career books is that I probably made a really stupid mistake doing two 
such diverse things that neither one's related to the other. But I love writing mysteries. I started doing it when I was running Cosmopolitan. But I also love speaking to women about success and some of the strategies that work for me. So I've done both and it's probably crazy and I don't advise it to anyone. <laughs> Keeps you busy. That's for sure. That's for sure. Let's talk about your time at Cosmo, 14 years at Cosmo, uh, such a successful run and, and, and a magazine that certainly I know, uh, you know, everyone in my generation and probably generations before and generations after would, uh, you know, snatch off the newsstand as soon as they saw it for, for, for nothing else. Those, those headlines, those just sexy headlines. Yeah. Um, how was it yeah. running that magazine? It must have been just a blast during your time there. Hard work, but fun. Oh, it was it was an absolute blast, and even my kids seemed to thrive when I was working there. They, I would ha- let them be little interns for me and make lists for me of what kinds who they'd want on the cover. And uh, I didn't have them help with the cover lines. No, no, I told them those were written by someone else, not mommy. <laughs> But it, it, some days I used to feel I'm in a television show. I mean, that's what it was like. Celebrities came by, but that wasn't even as important as working with this incredible, diverse group of people. We had people of all ethnic backgrounds and straight and gay, and that is a vibrant environment to work in. And because it was Cosmo, those people also tend to be envelope pushers. I mean, they really were gutsy. And so it made for a really exciting workplace. But but even just six and a half years ago, as I w- had made my plan to leave, I had told them two years before, I could see things really unraveling in the field because print magazines are dying. And some magazines have pivoted well like New York Magazine or The New Yorker, where they've got a really vibrant digital platform. But a lot of women's magazines just didn't do it as successfully. And I didn't know what was going to happen to Cosmo, but I felt I had been through several transitions already, and I didn't know if I wanted to go through yet another one. And I thought this would be a great time for me to go and take my side hustle to the next level. And unfortunately, magazines have continued in a death spiral. And, you know, we're at what Cosmo, when I was there, we sold 2 million copies on the newsstand every month. Now it's lucky if it sells 100,000, which just reflects that Gen Y uh, doesn't buy print. They don't read print. And it was just a natural cycle of life. And we, you just have to accept that and move on and build your digital platform and see the future and grab hold of it. So many of the issues that Cosmo tackled uh, are issues that young women are still curious about today, still want to know more about today. Where do you suspect they're going? I mean, digitally, yes, but where do you suspect they're getting that information? What sources online? What sources digitally? I think they are finding sources digitally. The danger with that, in my view, is that it just isn't fact-checked. And a lot of it isn't even edited. You know, these digital platforms have so much content that you have young writers just being allowed to post stuff. And I saw this all the time in the digital area and in my own company. And what happens is 
you can't be 100% sure of the information. Everything in Cosmo was fact-checked, every medical fact, every beauty fact. So we never delivered anything to our readers in those days. And this is true of many magazines then, that you weren't as close to sure as possible that this is legitimate information. Now, I wouldn't trust anything I saw on the web in most sites, uh, unless it was the New York Times, or the New Yorker, Vanity Fair, where those things are fact-checked. So I think you, you really have to question everything you read. And of course, there's a lot now pressure from advertisers to create uh, native advertising and sponsored content. And, and at first glance, it can look like a nice story on mattresses, but when you dig below, it's really been sponsored by a mattress company. So again, you just can't believe it. And I think younger people have to become more aware that of that. And even also influencers. Influencers constantly promote things that they are paid to promote. And we think, oh, just because Kim Kardashian likes it, uh, it must be good because, you know, she's such a style icon. And I did get to have lunch with her when I was at Cosmo and thought she was just pretty darn impressive. But she's being paid to promote things. And so you have to take everything with a big grain of salt today. Yeah, I was going to ask you about influencers as you were talking and and how, I mean, sometimes it's not even the Kim Kardashians or the big celebrities, but, you know, someone has, you know, a half a million followers and all of a sudden they're they're pushing products to people and, and influencing, you know, a whole other group of people. Right. I mean, as a lot of us saw with the Olivia Jade uh a video that may, you know, went viral after her mother was arrested for, for the college admission scandal. You see how this girl who has no real expertise at all is paid by companies to talk about their products. And she's charismatic on, on video and young women are influenced by her and they're sort of maybe led to believe oh, that must be a good mascara because she uses it. She uses it because she's paid to use it. And she's making you know, tens of thousands of dollars a year doing it. And I keep wondering if at some point there's going to be a bit of a backlash too with some of this. Even one of the things I, I see has happened to some of the two magazine brands too is that as they built their digital platforms, some of them unfortunately – didn't fall under the umbrella of the main brand. And so it was all about eyeballs. And so you lose that brand brand identity. So I don't know today, if I were 25 years old, where I would feel I could go. And there was just a real clear brand identity. The way there was for magazines like Cosmopolitan and Glamour uh, for my generation when we were in our 20s. And I think at some point, we've got to see some brands that we, we feel as consumers, I can really rely on the information. I know that that um, it's not simply being written about because some advertisers paid to have it written about. So true. I mean, you're, you're I mean, when you think about the institutional legacy bland, brands, when you picked up a Cosmo, you knew what you were getting. When you picked up a Mademoiselle, you knew what you were getting or a W, or, you know, whatever magazine, you knew what you were getting. And now it's hard to tell. Right. I remember at Cosmo, we did this story once about a doctor who had come up with some a surgery that was really well 
researched on helping girls who had women who had active sweat glands. And we, we wrote about it. We fact checked it. And later he wrote in to, to say how much he had appreciated the article. And he had done about 75 procedures just based on that piece. And I felt so good about that because I thought, you know, it was a, it's a really good procedure. These women knew when they saw it in Cosmo, I can, I can go in and have this procedure because this has been thoroughly vetted by this magazine. And there is not an easy way to have that done anymore. If you're a young woman reading media today, was there anything at Cosmo, anything that came up in the idea room that you nixed that you were like, no, we're not going to go there. Anything too edgy. You know what I had an issue with and not because in any way I was judgmental, but I could see some of the early research that talked about sort of the emotional toll of hooking up that women on the one hand, they wanted sexual freedom and that was great. But sometimes they were really hooking up with the idea of, I'd love him to ask me out, but he's not seeing it that way. And so we we really toned down our ad, advocacy of the hookup culture because I really saw some of the research showing that that was just not something that a lot of women in the end felt like, hey, I'm really glad I did that. Again, not to be judgmental or not to say you should be allowed to have your sexual freedom, but th- there was something about that that I think in, it sounded good, it sounded fun, but there was sometimes an emotional toll with that because your expectations might be different than the guy's expectations. And of course, we did a ton when I was there on uh, you know any kind of sort of sexual uh, date, you know, date rape or any kind of uh, sexual assault. We had Linda Fairstein, who was um, head of the sex crimes unit for the Manhattan prosecutor's office for many years. She wrote a regular series for us for many years where we tried to advise women about the importance of, you know, understanding that alcohol is the number one date rape drug that People sometimes think I was slipped something when it was actually you were in an alcoholic blackout. And it's really important to monitor the amount of you drink, to always be with a buddy, to go home with a buddy, to look for warning signs of a guy that he is not a good guy. And I'm so glad we we did those pieces. But as we know from the headlines, it's still such an issue and it's just never going to go away. Right. Right. I, I think you're right on that. And are you encouraged by the women that have come forward during the whole Me Too movement? Does that encourage you to see women more willing to come forward, or is it just another depressing example of this still goes on? Oh, I think it's been great. I think it's been great for women to have each other's backs and to see the power of their voices, that if you're not speaking up about it, and unfortunately, the first people who speak up are often the ones who are laughed out of the room or belittled or put down, but there's power in numbers. And even beyond that, I think women are using their voices more today in such a terrific way, learning that 
the only way you are going to have your idea heard in a meeting is if you speak up in a, in a very self-assured way that you don't bury the lead. You avoid phrases like, I'm not sure if this is a good idea, but, or I'm just spitballing. But if you say, I've got an idea that I think could save us $25,000 a year, and that's your lead in and using their voices to negotiate their starting salaries, because that's almost always possible to negotiate. So instead of saying, thank you very much, when do I start? When they offer the job, you say, thank you so much. I'd love to work for you, but I was hoping for this amount. Can we make that happen? And so I I feel like Gen Y has done a really, really good job of of speaking up and using their voices. The, The only thing I would say is sometimes it's important to realize that you've got to be strategic about it too. If I see, if I think back on the wonderful Gen Y women who worked for me at Cosmo, that sometimes they were gutsy for the sake of being gutsy without stepping back and saying, okay, what's the best way for me to play this today? Mm-hmm. And that, that transitions beautifully because in all those years as you were helping young women with the, uh, the edit, by editing Cosmo magazine, you were writing these books to also help young women in their careers and older women like myself. Uh, what, the book that I really got into was, I shouldn't be telling you this. I loved that book, immediately called my daughter and said, I'm sending you a book. She lives in Australia. I'm sending you this book to read because you're at the beginning of your career, but it also helped me quite a bit during a pivot in my own career. Um, And I've been in media for 30 years and and made a pivot just a couple of years ago. So what prompted you to write that book? I know that you started in 96 um, writing about the gutsy girl, but this book, I shouldn't be telling you this, I thought just had so many nuggets that help women in all times in their life and their careers. What prompted you to write that one? Oh, I, I, when I look back, I really am happy with that book. And once in a while, if I have to click on it on Amazon, I'm always glad to see it. It's got like four and a half stars or something. And it did, it did nicely. But basically, years ago, I wrote a book called Why Good Girls Don't Get Ahead that was a big bestseller. And the one of the women who had been very influenced by that book personally went on to be a player in a publishing company. And she wanted me to do sort of a soup to nuts book for women that took them through a variety of issues they might face in the workplace, no matter what age they are. And so I try to divide the, that book, I shouldn't be telling you, into a, the early you know, section about just learning how to handle a job interview and learning to trust your gut to the middle section about how to leverage your success and take it to the next level and deal with things, deal with things like I called sudden, I think I called it sudden promotion syndrome because sometimes our, our self um, doubt and that little imposter syndrome voice makes us panic once we get a promotion and possibly sabotage ourselves. So that was a great book for me to write. I really enjoyed it. And I knew I was going to be leaving Cosmo at the time. And I thought that would be a nice a platform for me to be speaking on after I left. Absolutely. It was a gift. It really was. I mean, what I loved about it was not only was it kind of a how-to, but it was also there were points at which it encouraged self-reflection. 
And, and I think that is so important because as you, you have talked and I've heard you talk about uh, the Gen Y folks, sometimes they come with a lot of confidence, but they don't have a lot of career capital yet. And it's important to know how to leverage what little career capital they have while still maintaining a confident um, a presence. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that, Christina, because one of the things that I constantly advise to when I talk to groups is, is self-reflection and being aware of something that a, time, uh, a management consultant once called the importance of draining the swamp as you slay the alligators, meaning the slaying the alligators is the day-to-day, but the draining of the swamp is the big picture stuff you're doing. And even lately, I was thinking in my own career now, as much as I love it, because I have such freedom, I live in Uruguay with my husband for the winter, and it's really been great. I realized the other day, you know what, I have not stepped back and reflected lately. And I did some of that and made some choices in my career that I hadn't seen coming, but just, I felt I hadn't done my own advice. And sometimes we get so busy managing our jobs and trying to be successful in them that we don't step back and manage our success. And we also don't look at our failures and try to learn from them. We, we try to not to think about them. We push them aside or we blame them on something else. And, and our friends help us, our husbands help us, our partners help us by saying, oh, come on, you know, she was a bitch. Why did you care what she said? Or, oh, they, they, they underestimated you. But really, maybe there is something you can learn from that based on your behavior. Who do you, what do you, um, what excites you these days? What, uh, is, is it the speaking engagements that you're doing? Is it the writing you're doing? Is it just enjoying life with your husband in your way? What, what really gets you out of bed and gets you moving? Because you, you, you have such a motor and have done so much. I can't imagine you like ever retiring. Well, that is something I think so many of us in my age group, I'm in my 60s, as you start to think about it, you think, well, I don't want to retire. And one one thing I did think of lately was that this bifurcated brand, as much as I have enjoyed it, because I love going out and speaking to women's groups. And I just gave a speech at the Chamber of Commerce and their leadership luncheon in Virginia and Norfolk. A, a week ago, and it was great, you know, to sit there in a room with 300 women and, and, and get to chat with them later. But I think that I may in the next few years, just really try to focus on the suspense work. Because today that it involves so much social media, so much of your time, that having the bifurcated brand, I may take a break from that and see how it goes. And that goes to one of the points I generally make to young career women, pick your lane. What's it going to be? It could change down the road, but what's your lane? Define it, you know, pick 10 words that sum up your values and your strengths, and then try to boil it down to three and then put it in a sentence so that if someone says, what do you do? You can say something very succinct. Like right now I have to say, oh, I write suspense novels and I lecture on leadership. What is that supposed to mean? And I think, so do as I say, don't do as I do. Have you kept both up for so long just because you love both? I mean, I find myself in my own career doing four or five different things. And I know at some point I'm going to have to peel a couple off, but I'm enjoying them all right now. 
Yes, that that's what it was for me. I love doing both. I I've loved sharing stories about my work with other women and strategies. I tended always to be good about moving away from a situation of work and sort of seeing, okay, here's the strategy that worked. And I'll tell you, I had a woman come up to me once in Williams-Sonoma and say, thanks for the $40,000 raise because she got that tip from a book I wrote. And I have gotten so much feedback from women who say something helped them in their career and it's very satisfying. But it's, I think if you're going to do something extra in your career, it helps if it can fit under the same umbrella. You know, is it a lane? It can be a wide lane, but it's at least a lane. I I ask all my guests this, what do you do to uh, replenish your own creativity? Is there, is there a system you have? Is there a place you go? Is there an activity that kind of helps you touch base with that most creative part of you? And you need to be creative because you're creating a lot. (laughs) I would say the things that work for me are one, definitely meditating. It's, it seems so corny, but to say, cause everybody says it now, but I really enjoy that. And more and more I'm in the morning where I used to put on MSNBC first thing. Now I'm putting on some meditation music or some classical music and using the mornings not to get too riled up. And that's been great living in Uruguay. It's one of the greatest decisions we made. We lived there for three months in the winter. It's very serene and beautiful, and I love that. And I think just this is hard for me, but I'm on a, a yearly schedule with my novels, and my ten- tendency is to want to jump in, and I just handed one in, and I've already got the idea for the next one because you have to. But I'm going to experiment this year and give myself a few weeks where I can't write anything. I'm just going to be thinking, jotting in a notebook and not allow myself time to write because you do that. I think you do give your brain something important when you let it think about and mull something over and just have an idea marinate in there rather than immediately trying to write it down on paper or I should say on my laptop. Agreed. I totally agree. I like to, I, I regularly back burner ideas and, and let my subconscious just kind of chew on them for a while. Yeah. And there's all this new research. I'm, I'm learning Spanish with this uh, great technique, the Pimsleur approach and what it's, it's all about how the brain works with uh, memory and repetition and you just, you know, the brain does its job sometimes when you are uh, off duty and when it can do its job when you're sleeping or just when you're working on something else. So give it that opportunity to present an idea to you when you're, you least expect it. And that's one of the powerful things about writing that, part of why I like to do it is the magic of you're just sitting there and all of a sudden your brain says so-and-so is going to die in your book and you're like whoa I plotted it out but I wasn't expecting for him to die how that's really interesting and that's that's your brain working so it's great if you can allow that a little bit more room to happen right and just kind of let it channel through you instead of forcing it 
Right, exactly. Fantastic. Well, t- okay, tell us the best, um, as we wrap here, tell us the best book to start with. You have so many. If you want the quintessential Kate White, what's the best one? It, uh, do you mean, Christina, uh, nonfiction or fiction? Because that's the problem. Either one, either one. What, which one do you think speaks to who you are and what you're all about the best that we should start with? I would say such a perfect wife in a sense because I always love my newest fiction the best. Uh, I'm closest to it. But in a way, Bailey Weggins is a true crime writer. She's a pretty gutsy, spunky person. And in some ways, she sums up the nonfiction part of me too, which is all about taking the bull by the horns, asking for what you want, not taking no for an answer. Kate White, thank you so much for your time. So appreciate it. Thank you, Christina. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kate White and learned a bit from her experiences. I love the fact that she gives herself fully to the new version of herself. And you never know how some experiences you have in life will open doors later. That certainly was the case for her. I was listening to a tech conference recently, and the speaker happened to be Kevin Systrom, one of the co-founders of Instagram. He and another man founded Instagram before selling it to Facebook. They joined Facebook for a while, and they both just left the company, so he's looking for his next big thing. But when asked how he got the idea for Instagram, I found his story fascinating. He said a little more than halfway through college, he decided to study for a year in Italy. And his friends told him he was nuts because he was losing out on opportunities to get internships and make contacts that he would need to eventually work for a tech company and then maybe start one. But he was passionate about photography, so he wanted to study under you know some master in Italy. And this method that this Italian master photographer used was very old, uh, antiquated, not used at all very much. So the two of them spent many hours in the dark room using a very outdated method method of film developing, which made the picture square. And then he learned how to add different tints to make the photograph look different. And I know you're thinking, hmm, because like I was thinking, that sounds a lot like Instagram's format and the early filters, and you would be right. That experience helped him differentiate his social platform. So you never know what you could be learning that seems outdated, or you think you may never need that skill but it could be the very thing that differentiates you when it matters most. So thank you again for being here. Uh, Thanks to Kate White, our guest. Thanks to my sponsor, New Age Ariel, and their sister company, New Age Designs, for all of your web design needs. Reach out anytime, and thank you so much for listening. This has been A Fresh Agenda. I'm Christina Mendonca. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is A Fresh Agenda. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.